Hello, and welcome to episode 38 of the Carrier's Edge pod- podcast. I am Jane Jezrawi, co-founder of Carrier's Edge, and with me as always... Mark Morrell, other co-founder of Carrier's Edge. We should have a better introduction. We I'm getting tired of something. saying this. Yes, we would. We'd have okay, to we'll actually talk about different. it. I don't really know what else to say. That would be different, so we'll just go with that. Anyway, we are Bienvenue on... Bienvenue a la podcast. Yeah, Very I am not... I think that actually sounds good, but I don't think that I could say it with a decent French accent. So, mm. I mean, I know what that says. I read French so much better than I actually speak it. Well, I have an accent from hell. <laughs> anyway. I, <got> <laughs> I have no further comment on that. So episode 38, we have had a busy well, aren't we always having busy yeah, that's what times? We I mean, we're always moaning about I being feel, busy. I feel bad about that so because we're not say that. it's that whole, you know, oh, I'm so busy. I'm so busy. I'm just so important that I'm so busy. That's not really, this is a lot happens. Yeah, uh, a lot has happened podcasts. and we're still unimportant. Yeah, so it feels like it's really busy, but it's not. It's just, we're just filling the days with a lot of things that are interesting. Sometimes. Sometimes tedious, but they need to be done. Yeah, but to, I think, the outside world, it might be more interesting than it is to us. Well, maybe not. <laughs> maybe this podcast is just a big fail. Well, the podcast is an interesting part of it. The tedious stuff, yeah. There are well, things creating, that, we do that are tedious no matter who's doing them. Creating things is a tedious job at times, even yeah. though it's very rewarding, especially at the end of it, when you see what you've done and what you what has happened. It's like, wow, I did all this. But while you're doing it, while those, you know, you're going through those, you know, each step of the mile mm-hmm. of the, what is it? The hundred mile march? 20 mile march. The 20 mile march. Yeah. It's, uh. It's tedious, so. Well, it always cracks me up every time I see some helpful advice or like one of these inspirational posters telling people not to sweat the small stuff. Like, oh, oh no. people are like, don't sweat the small stuff. I'm like, That's are you crazy. kidding? You have to sweat the small stuff. That's what makes something good. It's all the small stuff that drives you crazy. Now, getting the big idea is great and it's important as a starting point, but executing all of those little tiny super annoying things, fixing all the little bitsy things that drive you crazy. That's what it takes to make something good. And it's not only that, it's not just the execution of a vision that you have or you and I have. It's bringing other people along the way with you. Yeah. That's way harder than I ever imagined is finding the right people to work with and communicating, communicating what the vision is and how to get there. That's an ongoing process. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, I can see why it can be challenging to have a company succeed over time. Like, cause that is, it is a lot of work that you have to do all the time. Mm-hmm. So, so this is top of mind now because we just got results of our employee survey, employee uh, engagement yeah, survey or employee satisfaction survey from our consultant. And all of our staff are very happy, which is nice to see, mm-hmm. but they're, they're too happy. I think we're, we're paying them too much. <laughs> they shouldn't be that now happy. Now we're going to see who's listening. Yeah. <laughs> they're getting paid to put up with misery. So Yeah, but they get to have misery at home. So at least you don't have to drive and be miserable at work. Uh, maybe we you should can... make them drive more often. I don't know. You're, you're like trying we're, to we're get the score money down. On the table, right? We're over. Yeah, we're over. Overcompensating. Overcompensating. They're yeah. too happy. You shouldn't be that happy in your job. You should be at least somewhat miserable. No, I don't. That makes me not uh, trust it. I think they're just, you know, they're BS. In they're just being nice. Yeah. I'm going to uh, grill them on the next staff call. Like, yeah. Were you guys really being honest or were you just making up stuff? Okay. You get on my case all the time. That every, every time someone gives me a compliment, I question it. This is true. So that's exactly what you're doing See what right it sounds now. like? It's weird, isn't it? Oh, uh, I, yeah. But I have a very um, mangled version of how the world sees me. So I can't help it. It's just, it's and just it's been, really hard. It's been a good week for that. Cause you had a, a, uh, a presentation or you on a panel at mm-hmm. the surface transportation summit on it Wednesday was. and, uh, stirred it up. So, I, so to speak, you know what, to be honest, I, 
I think it was the line that I that I used that got the attention because I just kind of summed it up pretty nicely. I uh, the first quest. So I'm not used to being on a panel. This is my first panel where I actually participated, and this it's a weird experience because. Every other time that I have been a speaker, I control the conversation to whatever degree it is. So it's either you and I doing a presentation or I'm doing the presentation myself or I'm moderating the panel. So I'm directing the questions and I'm controlling everything. And apparently that's where I like to be Mm -hmm. because when I'm on a panel and I thought that for some reason that it was going to be great because I would not have to worry about it. But at the same time, I'm on this panel feeling really, really anxious because I'm not in control. (laughs) You know, poor John G. Smith is in control and I'm trying desperately not to, you know, you're, you're, you just want to start taking over and you can't because it's not your show. And I guess I have to start playing better with others in that regard. (laughs) Well, often when we're doing a speech together, I try and have that control and keep it organized and keep it to schedule and all of that other stuff. And you just sort of flat out refuse and do your own thing, but you're comfortable doing that with me and just ignoring me and going about your business. And, um, when you're on somebody else's panel, you're going to be better behaved. You're not going to be just ignoring them and doing their own thing. Yeah, so, well, hopefully, hopefully that's <laughs> you're what. going to feel like you should be you know, a better guest in their house. So yeah, I was definitely tricky. I was definitely uh, better behaved than I am with you. Yes. With you, yeah, you're. What are you going to do? Fire me? <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, the panel was interesting because. It, the, it was about driver retention, which is actually not something that we really uh, address specifically, but everything that we do supports driver. Oh, sorry. It wasn't about driver retention. It was about driver recruitment. And we don't do driver recruitment specifically, mm-hmm. but everything that we do supports driver recruitment. But what we're really more interested in is driver retention. But if you don't have good driver retention, how are you ever going to recruit successfully? That's the you have to have a good place to be before you can start saying, come here, come here. Well, and if you have good retention, you won't need to recruit very much. Um, I don't know about that because we have we have a recruiting problem because we can't find the right skill set for True. some of our open positions. Our, yes, and we're growing. And that's where most of our recruiting is 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 happening. But the regular fleet that isn't growing all that quickly, you know, if they're trying to hire a hundred drivers in a year, they're probably not adding a hundred trucks in a year. They're maybe adding 10 trucks. Right. They're just trying to. That recruiting is. Fill those. Yeah, exactly. And some of that is legitimate with people retiring or uh, having medical issues or things like that. But a lot of it is people leaving or. Getting out of the industry. Yeah. Leaving the industry, leaving the company, looking for greener grass or in a few cases being fired. Well, let's go back to. Uh, the fact, the comment that that seemed to grab at least the headlines for the people who were there, who were writing about it, um, and there four of us. And the question was, um, do you think the dri- that driver turnover, or sorry, do you think the driver shortage is real? I can't remember the exact words, but basically, is it a myth or is it is there an actual shortage of labor? And all four of us agreed that. It really wasn't a shortage of labor. It was really more of a shortage of trying to attract people into the industry. That was where the failure was. And my comment that caught people off guard, I guess, and I and I kind of meant it this way, was that it was a self-inflicted wound. So trucking has, has a turnover problem, has an, uh, see, now it looks like an industry shortage. But it's it's really not as much a shortage as a failure to attract people on a consistent basis mm-hmm. or on a consistent and, and have the people who are being attracted to the industry stay in the industry. It doesn't have a stay. good pipeline of new blood coming in. Thank you. Thank you for explaining it properly. But it that's the truth. So, you know, they didn't they didn't attract any millennials when millennials were looking for jobs in 2007. That's when a lot of millennials came into the workforce. And that was also the time that 
of the Great Recession, so nobody was hiring for anything, and people weren't thinking, oh, I need to find a pipeline of talent so that I can fill my trucks in five years. They were thinking, I need to keep the lights on. So they, you know, the whole idea of bringing new blood into the industry wasn't talked about when we first got into the industry. Uh, actually, it was because we came in before the recession, and then people stopped talking about it. I remember when we first started, was right around the same time that Ellen launched Women in Trucking to try right. and get more women into the industry. There was starting to be little bits of outreach here in Canada to First Nations communities to try and bring some more of them into the trucking industry. Um, there was a little bit of talk about diversity, but not very much. Um, and then the recession came and nobody was talking about it. It was just, oh my God, we got to lights on. But it wasn't about young people. No. It was about replacing... It was mostly about It was a lot of second career. And actually, mm-hmm. that was the conversation during the recession is, oh, what about all these manufacturing people that have been laid off? Can some of them come into trucking? And how can we do this job, job transition from one blue collar job to another? And you know, some people tried it and had mixed success with it. But there really wasn't, there, there has never been much of a consistent effort to look at the future and say, oh boy, we've got a, a looming crisis here. What are we doing to have a real solution five years down the road and 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road, all of that kind of thing? Yes, there's been no real, I don't want to say plan, but sort of future strategy from any that any that I can see. I, I think the closest thing to a strategy would have been the um, foreign workers Now that's initiative. in Canada because in the U.S., one of the points that you were making during your presentation is that in the U.S. there have been efforts in the past five years or so. In the past little while. Now, women in trucking is different because they were always, they from time they launched, they've been trying to get women into the industry and trying to make it easier for women to enter the industry. Uh, so I don't really count them. But in, term, and in terms of other ways of getting new blood into the industry, the U.S. has been really good at trying to um, attract veterans, which w- probably wouldn't be a great source of uh, of people in Canada because we just don't have the same right. numbers. But it apparently there have been companies who have been trying to work with the government or with um, the armed forces to try and have. Or I can't remember what it was that Crisco was doing where they were trying to work with Canada Company. Yeah, something similar. And trying to do something similar to what's being done in the U.S. But it kind of fizzled out and it hasn't hasn't worked because it's not working on their end. So there really hasn't been a lot of government support for that. Like they're, in the U.S., they you can use your... Um, pension or whatever those whatever those benefits are that you get once you're back to you can use them to help you with CDL getting your CDL or doing some other kind of schooling I don't know if there's anything similar here but it's definitely not talked about in the best fleets well for the military stuff it would be very different but there are other groups of people much like the U.S. has a large group of people that are coming out of the military as they wound down Middle Eastern wars. They had all of these people that were already American citizens, had some skills, and were sort of in a good position where you can bring a bunch of them into this industry. Canada's got the same thing. There are going to be groups of people that are already citizens, are already here, uh, and are um, in a large group losing their employment. Manufacturing may be one part of it. Mm -hmm. So all these GM employees that are not going to be working on the, the line anymore when the plants close that's one source of uh, people that might be candidates to move into the industry. And I'm sure there are other ones as well. Well, there's also second career. Mm-hmm. Um, there are, there was a trucking HR. I was talking about a, um, a women's sort of um, not a group, but a, a sort of a, and is it like an institution where people, uh, women could get retrained for mm. different jobs and, and trucking is one of them. But the whole national push, like the Americans really have the uh, ability to do that national push and really like send everything out to everyone 
as a and cast a really wide net. Whereas in Canada, it's more the provinces that are kind mm-hmm. of doing it. So I know that the Atlantic provinces have their their HR council, and they do they have some programs that are interesting. BC has some programs that are interesting. Um, in in Ontario, Melt is uh, has been a really good. Uh, way to get people to sort of make the training requirements standardized. But there isn't a national push. There isn't a national image, um, like a national image campaign like they have in the United Mm -hmm. States. In the United States, they have Trekking Moves America Forward, which is, I, I, it's not... I have lots of criticism of it, but it, it works. It's something. At it's least. something. Yeah. And people wrap their trucks and you can get free wraps. They have a mascot. Another thing that is not my cup of tea, but you know, <laughs> the, um, the person who the founder of, um, trucking moves America forward had a really good point. People love mascots at games. Uh-huh. So why wouldn't they love a mascot sure. for this? Yep. So, Canada could do the same thing. You could totally copy the U.S. I mean, it's been done before, so mm-hmm. let's do it some more. But there, that national push is really not there, and that national unity that the American Trucking Associations, whether you like them or not, they do have that. Mm-hmm. Well, yes, that's an excellent point. And uh, the uh, the reminder of the mascot, Safety Sammy, for anybody who's not familiar with him. Um, or her, I guess it's a, I guess it's a No male. eyelashes, therefore it's a guy. <laughs> this is what we learned recently. This is how you tell in animation and Lego, whether it's a male or female. Oh, I knew that. Eyelashes. You didn't know so, that? Same thing with mascots. You and, didn't know that. I, I don't know if I was conscious of it. I mean, you I, just I have think to I look at that. the Smurfs. You yes. have the Smurfs and the Smurfette. And if you didn't see her blonde hair, the eyelashes give it away. Yeah. Now, any, we all know this as women, as people who have two X chromosomes, we know hmm. that, uh, that the eyelashes denote us. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's your indicator. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it totally is. Or, you know, whoever's in pink. That's us. Yeah. That's our... Or the triangle dress that they have on like restroom doors. Yeah. Oh, you know what? I got to say, as a complete segue, I it is getting hard sometimes to figure out bathroom doors. Because it's... <laughs> yes. You have to, you know, that symbol, as much as it's stereotypical or whatever, it's a stick person. Yeah. You know, how are you, how are you going to do it? Really? Mm-hmm. I can see the simplicity of it. When you're trying to be clever and have something different like sometimes oh yeah it's sometimes you, you have to look a couple of times and it's like is that the women's yeah you have i to think look it at is both of them. yeah i've walked into the wrong ones before oh, have you oh totally oh my god yeah you're embarrassing i don't think i have actually the only time that i did was when it was marked clearly i was just not paying attention <laughs> so you know, when I'm, it's when I've, you know, had a couple of drinks, that's when I'm being really careful. <laughs> I would never do anything so irresponsible, of course. As to drink or to walk into a... No, drinking. Oh, okay. Yeah, drinking in public, of course, I would never be caught dead doing such oh. a thing. Moving walking on. Into wrong, walking into the wrong bathroom, you know that? <laughs> that's <laughs> not <laughs> a problem. Um, but yeah, you get to some of these restaurants and they've, they've got like this fancy artwork and you really have to look at both doors and study both to figure out what their system is. Yeah. And, yeah. Or if it's in different languages. Yeah. And it's not men and women in a different language. It's no. like the princesses and the the knights or something yeah. like that. And you're so like, so if I walk into the wrong one, this is Spanish, and I, yeah, I blame um, the restaurant for that. If I can't figure it out, that's on them. So if you just go into the wrong one, then no tip I'm for in. you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, going back to the uh, summit, well, your. Safety Sammy and Trucking Moves America Forward mm-hmm. is a nice seg into the ATA conference that we were at last week. And we were. Uh, so we were in we San Diego. That in San Diego. The ATA Management Conference and Exhibition, which cracks me up every year. I don't know why people do not want to use the word convention anymore. I guess it has some kind of bad connotation, but there's all these events that are clearly conventions and they call them these, you know annual summits or management conference. Well, 
What not that the definition of a convention, management conference and exhibition? What would a convention be if it wasn't that? I don't know. Yeah. I think you're also quibbling, so. I am quibbling. You are. So I like the event. I had a good time. You were happy yeah. in San Diego. I like San Diego. I like anywhere with palm trees. Yeah, there were palm trees. There was way too much smoking going on, which yeah. is really weird because California was um, one of the first places to ban smoking indoors. And I remember this because I was a smoker then. So I'm being completely hypocritical about my uh, dislike for secondhand smoke. And I know that you're very happy, but um, I quit smoking, oh God, 18 years ago. Yep. No, 19, 19 years 19 ago. and a half years ago. And um, at the time when I was smoking, I had to be careful because you couldn't smoke within a certain number of feet of the door, which has happened now in Ontario, but it happened like 20 years ago in California. And for some reason, every time we walked from the hotel to the exhibition, we were walking through some sort of smoking area. So you would walk outside into basically tobacco, Mm -hmm. which was really weird because inside you're fine, outside you're not fine, and then inside you're fine again. It's like the complete opposite. But um, that drove me up the wall. Not just regular tobacco, but it was like those gross... Cigars. Yeah, cigars and cigarillos. Because there was a cigar store very close to the hotel. Mm -hmm. And once or twice marijuana as well. It's legal there. Well, we went downtown Toronto... When on the weekend, last weekend, and if you go to Dundas Square, which is basically sort of midtown area where there's lots of theaters, there's theater district, shopping district, and it was completely marijuana. Like the whole legalization of marijuana was very evident in that one area. Mm -hmm. It was, um, it's weird because we don't go downtown all that much. So when you do go downtown and it's so different. Yeah. It's, California it, wasn't quite like that. San Diego wasn't quite like that, but there were a few times where we were. If we had gone to the same type of area, we probably would have had the same thing. So yep. I wonder if edibles will change that. Maybe. I don't know. It's a very strange turn of events. Mm-hmm. How uh, the legalization of marijuana has changed things. And for in terms of trucking, that has definitely changed things. Mm hmm. So we're there, the whole conundrum of what to do about drug testing did come up at the Surface mm-hmm. Transportation Summit. Um, and I did learn that if you, um, hair testing apparently can give you a whole history of your drug use. Mm-hmm. And the longer your hair, the longer the history. So I was being, to, um, Yvette Legras, Legras, who's the, um, what's the name of the trucking school, trucking Yvette's school. That's all I was thinking. Yvette's school, yeah. What's the name of her school? I think it's Ontario Truck Training Academy. Yeah, I think that's what it is. I always think of the TTSAO, actually, when I think about Yvette. And she was telling me, oh, you have long hair, so you're going to have a a lot of uh, history. And I'm thinking, oh, God, really? (laughs) Like, I didn't realize. (laughs) Keep your hair short if you're getting hair tested. Yeah. But uh, it is it has been a conundrum in Canada ever since legalization that hasn't really been addressed by the government. So it's having to be addressed by the industry, which is that's difficult. That's difficult to do. Well, and in some ways, it's actually a little bit easier here because at the federal level, it's legal. So there's kind of standardized rules across the country. One of the challenges the U.S. industry faces, and we had a panel on this last week at the ATA event, is that there isn't any federal leadership on that. So you've got a good number of states where it's perfectly legal um, for recreational use, but at the federal level, it's illegal, and there's no consensus on policies or testing or what is acceptable in the workplace or any of that kind of stuff. So it's really kind of the wild west for them right now. The other issue is that it's no one really seems to know how long it is an impairment for, Mm -hmm. or no one has, has established what the impairment level is and how much time it takes to be out of your system. And the fact is that it stays in your system for and this is what I found out when talking to a vet was that it can be, you know, 60 days. Mm-hmm. It, it's not just 30 days. And even 30 days is crazy because, yeah. you know, if you have if you have cannabis or if you smoke cannabis 
on you know, July 1st, August 1st, you're not thinking that you're still being affected by something that you consumed, you know, a month ago. Well, and that's the challenge of differentiating between presence and impairment. Like it may be present without having any effect on you. But people don't measure impairment so much. They, yeah, they measure it, existence. The old, the old way with, with alcohol is that if you've had this much, you're impaired. And we all know you're impaired. And you're impaired for about, well, I don't know. 12 hours or something. Yeah. Well, depending on how much you drank and mm-hmm. how, long, how long it stays in your body. But you can be tested. You know, you can be tested every couple of hours and you can see it go down and you can see the sobriety start. But with marijuana, it's, it's not, it doesn't have that same uh, instant ability so I think until people can come up with a test to, to really determine whether someone's affected by it, it's going to be really difficult. Like right mm-hmm. now, the only thing you can do is zero tolerance yep. and just not consume it. Well, there's which, no roadside tests either. So there's no way for police to stop somebody. And I thought there was. I don't think there's um, a reliable one. I think they've got like impairment tests that they do, but they can't do like blood alcohol testing. So maybe that's changed, but that was one of the challenges before. There was no quick way roadside to have somebody breathe or something and and get uh, an assessment of how much they have or See, what is even a, acceptable or an impairment level. That's a startup business. Yep. That's something that would be funded. Oh, yeah, for sure. Which I, probably there is somebody trying to develop something and with tons of funding but can you imagine if you had because i i read something about um someone trying to put in legislation for car manufacturers to have a way that you check impairment before you mm-hmm. can start the car the ignition lock is that in canada or the u.s um well the, it's the ignition US. lock exists and there are people that have certain conditions like after they've had enough duis or something where they have to have that on their vehicle but it's not part of standard um build of a car right and so I think it was someone someone is talking about doing that yeah someone's trying to implement that so i think it would be a great idea but it would be good to know for both drugs and alcohol mm-hmm. which all affect you differently so you'd have to have a whole bunch of different tests i suppose yeah you just get in the car you breathe on some like glass plate or something like that and the car tells you whether or not you're safe to drive which used to be, you know, one of those things that was kind of like, you know, oh, futuristic and crazy. But after using our car for a while, I can totally see that. Yeah. I can totally picture it. I can, I, I can imagine having to do that in, in a place on the car dashboard where it would be because mm-hmm. there's just so much technology in cars now. Mm-hmm. They're like smartphones in your, yeah. that are parked in your garage. Yeah. Well, and with our car, more and more of the functionality of the car is in the mobile app. So you can do a lot of stuff with that car through the mobile without, app. W- yeah, without. Including moving it, which is the weirdest not, thing. Not, yeah, you can move it, but it's not really, it's pretty clunky. Oh, yeah, and you have to be very close, but still. I mean, 10 years ago, if, if somebody said, you know, there'd be um, an app on your phone that will allow you to move your car into a parking spot and back out again. Well, 10 years said, ago, no I way. think I had a flip phone, so. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like, wow, like what button do I press? Nine pound yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to move my car? Yeah, I don't know. I a text message with the old key, the old oh, key. A-A-A-B-B-B. Yeah. <laughs> so right. that's what we have been up to. And now we are just about to get rolling with the annual excitement of Best Fleets. Best Fleets to drive for. See, that could be the use for the music that I found today. I found some great theme music, uh, putting together some stuff for one of Jane's courses. And uh, I found a, a bunch of great things. And one of them was kind of a, I don't know, it's a, it definitely has the, uh, the feeling of a dude walking down the street. And it's a dude walking down the street, a cool dude uh, walking down the street with this kind of bouncy hip music. And I said, let's put this in the course. And she said, absolutely not. It, it not. sounds like, well, actually Fanny had the same response as like, you know, it sounds like he's about to take his shirt off. <laughs> so that's not appropriate okay. for a course about safety. All right. And, but you know, appropriate behavior in the workplace. You want that bouncy music? Maybe that's the best fleets theme. Oh my God. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, that's still inappropriate workplace stuff. Bad connotations. Yeah. Any any song that seems like it would be fitting on an episode of The Deuce yeah. <laughs> should not be. Should not, not be, be a, a theme and song it's, for it's, a program. I can see. I can see that it it does kind of have that sort of jive feeling, and um, but it is really on the line between. Yeah. Um, kind of a soft porn type of feeling, which I have to emphasize. Mark did not realize. I didn't when get that. When he I didn't was catch to it. it. So, and I don't think everybody catches it. I think it's just certain people hear it a certain way. But always, intro music is fun. Yeah. It's always fun to try so, and find something. I think that the safety committee course intro music is going to be good. Yes. It will not be it's that called, particular. It's called heroic drums, so you can imagine what it's like. Yes. I can't, I can't do it, but it's like. Dum, 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 dum. There we go. We should just record that, and that'll be the theme. Yeah. So, yeah, but we do need to have a Best Fleets theme song. That is one of the few things missing from Where that program. We? Oh yeah, because then they could play it when we, we play do it at the, the convention and, and <gasps> like a processional for you to go on. No, when the fleets are coming on. Oh. When we do that, when we call out the fleets, the top 20, then we could have, you know, something going on in the background. Maybe that's the metal ceremony song. From Pink. We would <laughs> Not Pomp and Circumstance, but uh, no, no, metal no, no. ceremony. The metal ceremony? Yeah. Yeah, I had one of the options for this course. One of the other ones that was denied was like a metal ceremony kind of theme. That would be lovely. Yeah, you know what? But having some music to go with that, mm-hmm. I'm going to suggest that to Marley because I think that's a good idea is to have that come out. That would It would give it a little bit more movement. Mm-hmm. And I don't know well, what Well, you're music. reading off their names as they're walking out, so. Yeah, but people do, you can have music going on underneath, I think. Mm. Because right. it's quite dry. Like it is, it is like a silent thing because you're, you're. Until someone starts clapping and then everyone claps the whole time through. If there's music, then they probably wouldn't clap. Yeah. Because if there's, because you're waiting for something to finish. Mm. But remember at the ATA, the smart. Smart way. Smart way. I always want to call it smart drive, but that's something different. Uh, smart way had all of the announcements over music. Did they? Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Yeah, when well, they were doing, because they had like to. 72 companies that were being oh, yeah. mentioned and they couldn't really have them all come out, yeah, 70 companies on a stage. On stage. So they, they did it in a video and they had music going on. Ah, well, there we go. But you can't get it from GarageBand. Like we'd have to find something better. I'll find something. I'll no, but we, but we should bring it up with Marley. Yes. So stay tuned. There See we if go. we have Live music. brainstorming on the podcast. Yeah. Is All the right. best place to do it. Yeah. Well, we don't have very much else to do over the next few months. So. Oh, I do have to. Um, I do have to mention that uh, after the Surface Transportation Summit, I was. Uh, I did mention that the reason that we started this podcast is because um, we would have all these conversations about the industry, just between us, like we do on this podcast, but we would generally have them in places like the kitchen or the bathroom. And that apparently was uh, quite the uh, humorous, apparently. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They thought it was like, oh, yeah, I Mark and Jane in the bathroom. And it was like, well, no, we have a podcast. We don't do it in the bathroom. That was the whole point is that we were taking it out of the bathroom. And I think we should clarify <laughs> Because you're really making it sound like an unpleasant experience. We need to have the music going. In the kitchen (laughs) or in the living room, sometimes in our pool or sitting on our deck, often while we're driving places, is not just exclusively the two of us crowding into a bathroom. (laughs) No, but you know what a bathroom is like. In the most unpleasant of circumstances and then starting to have some business Brushing your teeth or blowing, you know, blow during your hair or something. You're just getting ready. Like, it's not gross or anything like that. It's just when you have conversations. Our management meetings happening in a public toilet. (laughs) This is the vision that you're giving people. That's why it's such a great place to work. (laughs) That's why our employees are happy because they don't have to come to those. They don't have to show up in the public bathroom stall where our management meetings happen. <laughs> oh my God. Now I have left luckily okay. lost track of everything yeah, that maybe I Maybe you shouldn't say. do many more speeches in the next and, little while. <laughs> uh, what else have you been telling people? 
Because this is new to me. <laughs> I know, I know. I've just introduced this. this. Yeah. I, but it's true. It's it's one yes. of the places because we're constantly talking. We're constantly thinking about the industry and constantly talking about our business. And when you live together and work together, you tend to talk about what your day was all the time. And this is why we started the podcast. Is that well, we may as well see if people care about what see we're. If once every three weeks, we can behave. And, and apparently not. Apparently that is not the case. Yeah. We started so. out behaving well, but 38 episodes in. We're yeah. punchy, man. Yeah. It's not even end of season. Normally it's like May and June. Those podcasts are like pretty loose cannons. We're all <laughs> over the place. Here we are. It's still October. We've been at this for like six, eight weeks since we started this latest season of podcasting. Yeah. We should be more disciplined and responsible. We should. But yet we're not. So what else are we going to talk about? Well, we never finished talking about the best fleet stuff that we're starting. Oh, oh yes. So uh, the interesting thing about this year is that we have an embedded reporter. We've got help and an embedded reporter. Yes. yes. So we had, uh, yesterday we did our annual Here's How to Answer the Questions webinar, which People think, oh my God, you're telling them how to have the right answers? Well, no, there is no right answer to these questions, but there are definitely wrong answers. I don't even call it wrong answers, but wrong approaches. That's a very politically correct way of saying it. I don't it. think so. I mean, if your approach is to give us marketing speak, that's not really a wrong answer. It's an ineffective answer. Yeah, because I'm going to get pissed off and give you zero points on that. Well, no, that's that's not true because we don't do that. No, but I always say that I'm going to. I always, threaten, always threaten. And every it. time after these interviews, like, ah, these people just gave me all marketing crap. They just didn't give me any real information. I'm docking them points. <laughs> and then we get to the scoring and I never need to. No. Well, so th- we're basically just coaching them on how to do it. Mm-hmm. On how, It's like coaching or tutoring for a test or something like that. We're giving them best practices. This is what, this is how you win. This is how you get into the top 20. Like don't tell us, don't tell us things that don't make mean anything. Tell us the stuff that's interesting. Coaching someone on how to be a good writer. And one of the things that you always say is be yourself. Mm -hmm. Tell your story in your voice, do it your way. Don't try and copy other people. Yeah. You can learn from them and be inspired by different things and take pieces from a lot of different areas, but tell your story your way. And it's kind of the same thing with the best fleet stuff is we want people to tell their story in their words. Don't give it to some marketing consultant to try and make it sound better than it is because we see through that crap and it, it just bogs down the process. So we do this webinar every year to give people some pointers and tell them that they shouldn't tell us they have an open door policy and they treat drivers like family because and safety says comes that. first. Oh yes. Of course. Safety yes. comes first. So actually tell us real things that they're doing. Uh, and it's usually very, uh, eye opening for people that are first timers. Um, there's usually a handful of first timers that are very diligent and have already finished the questionnaire by the time the webinar happens and then need to go back and review it. Uh, I had one yesterday Shortly after we finished, I got a mail from one person of high priority. Can we please have our questionnaire opened up again after this webinar? I realize we need to change a lot of things. <laughs> so fortunately. Um, but we know that and we don't. Yeah, that's part of the reason why we do it. Yeah. Uh, so I said, I went and looked at it and they hadn't actually submitted it yet. They'd finished all the questions, but they hadn't actually submitted it. So until they hit the button to submit it, they can go back and change it as much as they like. So when I told them that, they were quite relieved. So that's why we do it that way. Go through it as many times as you want to get it uh, suited, you know, to your style and your information and make sure everybody in the company is happy with it. And then when you're good, you submit it. But we also give hints about what gets some points. Yep. We don't tell them, well, we tell them a lot about what not to do, like what is not going to be helpful. And it's not so much that it's wrong, it's just not helpful. So telling us that, you know, you treat drivers like family is not helpful because we don't know what that looks like. And unless a driver is saying that, it doesn't really mean very much. It just kind of means that you're tooting your own horn. But if you tell us about programs that you have, how you try to include people, if you, even if you're doing, if it's not a formal program, it's an informal program, that's fine. Or if it's just something that you do, or we're also trying to jog people's memories about, you know, things that you may have had in place for, you know, 
15 years and you've forgotten that it's actually a benefit. So there were people that uh, when we started asking specifically about guaranteed pay, the uh, like a minimum, uh, a minimum amount for drivers who may or may not get the get the miles every week or if they don't have a stable uh, to basically to stabilize their income. We started finding out that more, you know, companies have been doing it for a long time. And until you actually specify that as a question, people don't think of it. So, but we don't know about it until people tell us that they're doing it. So we are really getting the best information from the industry and trying to throw it back and see what's and see what's happening. It's a bit of a chicken and egg thing where mm-hmm. you don't have the questions until you discover somebody doing something. Um, and then as soon as somebody starts doing it and you've got something concrete there that you can look into, then you create a question. And then what happens is everybody sees that question and they're like, oh, maybe we should have something. So over time, they start to develop more of these things. Um, but yeah, the process really is about coaching them to figure out what their story is and how to tell it. And the Mm -hmm. companies that have that story figured out, know who they are and how to tell their story in their own words are generally the companies that do fairly well, which also explains part of why we see the same companies back again, because they figured out how to tell their story. Um, And, uh, you know, usually they uh, can get onto the top 20 at that point. They've got enough happening and, they can tell their story really well, not with marketing crap, but something that's honest and they are doing things. Um, they can get on that list and they can stay until something significant happens. Like maybe they've got, uh, they may have a bad year with crashes or turnover, or they've got some financial problems or some satisfaction issue. There's usually something significant that pulls them off that list at that point. And it's not uncommon for them to get back on a couple of years later. So. Or what happens is they don't keep, they don't keep uh, yeah. reinventing themselves, but well, not even reinventing themselves. They don't keep pushing forward. Yeah, there's no new programs. You haven't, you know, gotten feedback and changed anything. You haven't introduced anything new. And then you have people coming up behind. So mm-hmm. that's another way that people can get off the list. But when you're on it and you're you're serious about staying on it and you're doing things to make sure that you stay on it, it's um, tend to stay on it, mm-hmm. It's which is and it feels like or it, sometimes I think it appears like we have favorites and it's really not. It's people who are super passionate about this program and who are and actually make it a focus of their year is okay how you know what are we going to put in the new best fleets uh Mm -hmm. what are we going to put in our in the next year's application like when i was talking to i did a radio spot with um nina jolly from tld who is and tld what's the full name of their company tld logistics thank you i was going to say tld freight systems and i knew it wasn't right TLD Logistics in uh, Knoxville, Tennessee, they've been on the list, I think, for four years. Yep. And so she was on the uh, um, one of the Sirius, uh, the Dave Nemo show on Sirius XM. And we were talking about best fleets and, and she was saying the same thing that they make sure that they try and capture new ideas and and things that they're doing so that they can add it to the best fleets. She also said that um, there was a couple of things that they were doing that until we told them, until we had the question, they didn't even realize that that it was a benefit. Hmm. So they kind of, they ended up doing, and they've changed things based on the best fleets program or they've changed some programs or added some programs because they had new ideas. So it was really cool to hear because we don't often get that feedback. Yeah. We get, um, we get them telling their story mm-hmm. uh, and we know that when we're doing that, it's not unlike a job interview where they're trying to put their best foot forward. Yeah. So everything they've done is super. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, when you get them on the radio or you have the conversations at the convention afterwards and you hear the stories of sort of how they got there and the things that they're doing, Uh, is really interesting. Yeah, I find it very fascinating. I'm also curious every year to see which of the previous year's top 20 make it and which ones don't. For the last like four years or so, maybe even five years, there's always been four new people 
four people on the list that weren't there last year. I don't know why it's four. Uh, it just is certainly not anything that we're doing to try and make it that way. It's just sort of happened. So I'm very curious to see, is it going to continue? And if so, which four of last year's aren't going to be on the list? Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Cause last year, none of those four were very happy. The ones that got, well, nobody's uh, ever very happy no, about being are. off, off the top 20. And we have had the ongoing conversation of, well, maybe we should make it 30 or, you know, I don't I don't think that's ever going to happen. Yeah. Uh, we could potentially make it 30. We'd have to talk to the TCA. We could could have, I mean, bring 15 of them out there or do three different overall awards. Small, medium, and large could do something like that. It's possible. Um, but what I've heard from some of the fleets is they don't want it to be a larger list. Right now, if you make it on that list, that's an accomplishment. Mm. And the bigger that list is, the easier it is to get on, the less of an accomplishment it is. Mm. So for us, we look at it and we interview these people and we see, even though there's a top 20, there's probably 40 companies every year that are doing some really great stuff and we'd like to recognize them and we can't. So right now we do top 20 and we do five honorable mentions. And there's always five or 10 or more other fleets that were like, oh man, they've really got some good stuff. They could really stand to be on there. And we feel like we should make it a bigger list so that they can be included. But, you know, there's even some of the fleets who don't make it say, well, don't make it easier. We just need to step it up. So, yeah, it's it's hard. And you're right. You know, you feel like you're disappointing people and you know that there are some really good, I mean, there's, I can think of, four or five companies off the top of my head that I that I would love to have on the list just because I know that they're doing the right things and they've mm-hmm. got some good programs and there's a couple of things that have sort of pulled them off of it. And yeah, there's not much you can do about it. Mm-hmm. And every year when we go through and do the scoring, we have to sort of revise how we're scoring it based on the data that comes in and we look at the different algorithms that we use to calculate different parts of the score and make sure that it sort of passes a smell test. And every time when we get it to the point where it's like, yeah, this is the one that passes the smell test for us. It, it fits all of the data and it's reasonable and we can defend every part of the decision-making to create that scoring algorithm. It always results in somebody being cut that surprises us. And we're like, Oh, well, huh? But the data is what it is. And I guess, unfortunately, that fleet doesn't make it. So it is a very weird process. It is. And we'll have a few more podcasts between now and then. But uh, that's my January generally is all of that scoring and doing all the math around that. So now we're about to start on the interviewing stage. And I am very curious to see what we find this year. At this point, every year it's like, huh, what's it going to be? What are people doing? Because last year, everybody was talking about good times and they had all these plans for expansion and new ideas. And then over the summer, lots of freight problems, you know, lots of slowdowns in different places. And every day on freight waves, there's some new story about someone going bankrupt. So there's some dark times in different segments. One of the things that I've really noticed about our top 20 is that they're not, or people who make the list, so it may not be the top 20 this year, but over the last few years, is that they are generally, um, I don't want to say conservative, because they're progressive in a lot of ideas, like in terms of moving the industry forward, but they are conservative in terms of how they run their businesses. Yeah, They're not, they're looking at the long game. They're not, so the whole idea of spot freight and that kind of thing, generally the best fleets are not. They're not putting too much into that. Yeah. They're generally, they're trying to find um, business that's, you know, dedicated business or repeatable business. Things that are going to make their drivers happy. Um, things that where they can manage, uh, that they can work, have a good working relationship with shippers. And I think that's a really big part of it. I don't really expect to see, uh, a best for a top 20 
in that situation where they're going to just, you know, one day you're going to hear that they've closed their doors. I don't think that's going to happen yeah, just because they're sense. very conservative. Well, and and it may not be conservative. It may not are, be the right they're word. They're fiscally conservative. Yeah. But yeah, you make a good point that they're creating a business model around stability of customers and longevity. So they're mm-hmm. not jumping at everything. They're not sort of scrounging for everything that they can, um, which... Yeah, the spot market is certainly important that uh, you need people that are servicing that. But how do you build a good workplace culture around that when people don't know when they're working or where they're working or how long they're working? Uh, How do you build a a business culture around that kind of thing? Um, So these ones, you know, it's a little bit like when we used to do consulting work and it was all project based and you don't know what project you're on. You don't know where you're going to be going to this project or how long you're on it. And it's really hard to build a life around. So you get out of that and get into something that is a little bit more stable and predictable and you can build your business around it and build your company culture around it. And I think probably that's why the best fleets are tending to be fleets that are a little bit more static in that area because those are the ones that have the ability to create a nice workplace culture for their drivers. And drivers, I think people in general don't like the ups and downs. You know, consulting was a feast or famine. I hated it. Yeah, it takes a very particular personality type or a young person who's just hungry to pad their resume or crank up billable hours. Or they don't know what they don't know, right? So they they end up in a consulting gig and you're like, oh, travel, yay. Ooh, travel. And so it's a young person's game, I think, the, the whole consulting and chasing things and trying to trying to navigate when a micro is going to be hot and when it's going to be cold. But a lot of people who are, you know, who are trying to make a living are not interested in that. They want mm-hmm. to know what they're going to make. They want to know when they're going to be home and they want that stability. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's a good place to work. That's a good place to work for anybody, for yep. anything. You know, yep. we want stability. We don't want to have, uh, and that's why we created our business rather than doing the consulting route. But also why we switched away from mm-hmm. doing straight consulting to a package service. Where, where we had more control because we're control freaks. Really. But also it's stability. You know, we have a relationship with customers. We've built a product and priced it in a particular way so that even if they're not using it for a month or two, it's still cheap enough for them to keep it and sort of have it there for later. And most of them do. And our customers sign up and we have a long-term relationship with them. Our average lifespan with the customer is something like 11 years. So that's a long time. We're not having to go and chase one thing after another and provide, you know, an unstable workplace and no predictability for our employees. They know what they're going to be dealing with on a day-to-day basis. And as I'm saying that, I'm realizing how unpredictable it is anyway, because there's different problems that come up and we have our plans, but there's often sort of black swans that appear Mm -hmm. that we have to deal with new partners that come in and say, Hey, can you do this? And we want to do it because it's a good opportunity, but wherever we can, we try to provide stability and predictability for them. And, uh, it's kind of the same thing with the fleets. The best fleets uh, are the ones that are providing that kind of stable workplace environment. And with that, I think we can be done. We can be done. I think we've sort of come to the end. Both of us have reached the point where we don't have any immediate thought in our head. <laughs> we would have to think of a new subject. And, and the coffee that we're seems, off. And it's Friday afternoon, and it seems like a really difficult prospect to think of a new topic. Yes. So we'll just wrap it up at mm-hmm. that point, I think, and just say, all right, we're done. Thank you for listening. Have a good day.